when you have these gatekeepers that control the rails of the system, both the content production, the money that flows through the system and the distribution of the system, it creates an environment where creators don't feel like A, they can have the creative outlets that they that they ultimately want to have, and B, they don't get the upside of their creations anymore. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing the best conversations we have had with significant builders, experts, and communicators. The people we encounter and work with as we go about helping you build brands people care about. Season four is based on our exploration of Web3, NFTs, and all things Metaverse. We're seeing an explosion of creativity and brands popping up all over this new space. Yet the rules seem to be different and experimentation is not only expected, but welcome. Follow our conversations with the designers, the builders and the visionaries shaping Web3 and the metaverse. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to StoryCo. StoryCo is a radical experiment in community and world building was founded by brothers Justin Alanis and JP Alanis. JP is an experienced development executive. He previously co-created and led Golf Media, the direct-to-consumer media platform and production company founded by Tyler the Creator. In this role, he was responsible for overseeing content development, events, production, and technology. Here, he was involved in creating some of the first series ever to originate from direct-to-consumer digital products and be sold to a linear television. Justin Alanis is his co-founder and experienced entrepreneur with a background in both technology and private equity. He currently serves as a core community member at several decentralized organizations who support, invest in, and foster the growth of emerging Web3 technology companies. Justin has also founded and served as a CEO of a data analytics company that was acquired in 2018. Full disclosure, I bought a StoryCo token when they launched, and I love the process of buying it and really enjoy being part of this community. We talk about how they're looking to change the way content is produced, created, and released into the world, how Web3 unlocks a new way of working with people, and how they are deliberately not growing as fast as possible. We even discuss why The Big Lebowski is objectively the best movie of all time. Enjoy. Justin and JP, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. It's it's an honor to interview the founders of a project that I, I spent my own money buying into because uh, I believed in it before you had the opportunity to convince me. So welcome aboard. Thank you so much and appreciate um, uh, not only being on the podcast, but uh, you being a part of the project. Right. Now, my first my first question is interesting because I think if you guys were like a superhero duo, um, it would, you know, you've got these like different backgrounds that allow you to do amazing things when you come together. I think we should start the interview there going, can you just give us a sense of what your background is um, before you started StoryDAO? Sure. Uh, I'm happy to go first. So first things I think uh, that we should mention is that, and maybe you already did this, is that JP and I are brothers. Uh, I'm eight years older than JP. And so it's been an amazing journey with, uh, in terms of building StoryDAO with JP. We, as you mentioned, we bring, I think, different skill sets and different experiences to the table. Uh, between the two of us, I have more of a background in business building. I started actually in real estate private equity way back in the day. Uh, started a technology company to solve some of the problems that I saw in my previous job. Uh, And I started that in 2013, raised some money for it, uh, grew that business over the course of five years. And ultimately, we were acquired by a publicly traded company in 2018. And that was then my opportunity to really dive deep into crypto, which had been a fascination of mine, something I was super interested in, but never had the time or availability to really dive deep. And so I joined a DAO called Metacartel Ventures, which is one of the OG investment DAOs in the space. And it's got a number of really amazing members and a great network. And they invest in early stage startups. And so I just started learning a little bit more about the space, started meeting entrepreneurs and founders in the space and started pattern matching and seeing what was happening out there. 
one of the entrepreneurs I met through that was a guy named Jess Sloss, who runs a, a company called Seed Club, which is an accelerator for the Web3 space uh, that you may know. And so I started getting deep in the Seed Club ecosystem because I led the round from Metacartel Ventures into Seed Club and um, really became fascinated with the acceleration and incubation of new projects. And I've always been a builder. I was playing around the space. I was buying NFTs and minting Board Ape and um, you know, buying punks and a lot of other stuff that I'm not as proud of. Uh, and started to see what what this technology was all doing and how it could change the future uh, with NFTs, DAOs, and, and tokens ultimately emanating out of this new technology, the blockchain, this global supercomputer uh, that I think is going to change so much in terms of ownership and access. And that's really what I wanted to focus my career on. I was fortunate enough that JP was spending his career in Hollywood uh, doing IP incubation and trying to get around the gatekeepers of Hollywood his whole career. And I was banging down his door and saying, you've got to focus on this. You've got to understand this. And uh, that was really, I think, when the light bulb went off for JP and um, the genesis of, of StoryDAO. For sure. Uh, if nothing else, Justin is very, very persistent. Uh, and so he was, <laughs> he was really banging down my door about this for a long time. Uh, I wish that I had um, listened to him sooner, honestly, uh, but I finally did. Um, I'm JP. I represent just in time for the bear, just in time for the bear just market. In time right, for, yeah, it was a little bit before that. It was like right, right in, right at the uh, start of that big bull run uh, is when I was like, oh, what is this? Um, you know, and I had invested in crypto before, and um, but you know, never had gotten into NFTs or anything like that. But yeah, I represent the entertainment side of of what we're doing. Um, you know, I'm someone that was definitely raised by television <laughs> and I decided that's what I wanted to do for my whole life, <laughs> a pretty, uh, at a pretty young age, I think. So, um, you know, when I went to college, I knew I wanted to be in entertainment. I went to USC to go study film, uh, immediately went to go, um, the traditional route. Uh, I went to go work at Lionsgate in television development, um, worked on some really awesome shows there, but right i mean it was right at the dawn of the age of digital distribution that i was working at lionsgate right like netflix was just starting to make original shows um and i just got jaded by the traditional development process and saw the internet as this way to um, give creators and artists a little bit more freedom if we could solve the distribution problem for them um because you know distribution was owned by a handful of gatekeepers um and it still is um, but you know, at least with some of these outlets like YouTube and, and just, um, different ways to get your content out there. Um, you know, it's a, there's a, there's more avenues. Um, and mm. that was right around the time where I got introduced to Tyler, the creator, um, and ended up working on a project with him. Uh, it was a, a production company and direct consumer media company. Um, and there we were incubating content because at that time, uh, you know, I don't think that there was a huge appetite for what Tyler wanted to make in the traditional media space, like in terms of movies and TV. And he had this really amazing audience. Um, and we could use that audience to incubate all sorts of ideas that we had. Um, and that's what you, we used the platform to do. And we ended up incubating, um, you know, a couple large scale television shows from that. Um, and through that, you know, really got a few uh, theses. Uh, the first is, um, you know, if you incubate content and build community around that content, uh, your shot at selling it up into traditional media is much, much greater. Um, you know, studios are looking to de-risk investments and de-risking investments in content looks like um, something that has been proven out in another medium and has a community around it. The second thing I realized is that uh, the creative center of the universe is not in Los Angeles. Uh, there is no creative center of the universe. Uh, and I think everyone that's in Hollywood and everyone that's in the entertainment industry is really laser focused into this one town that's like, yes, mm. all the great writers live here. <laughs> uh, and it's just not true. Um, and uh, Tyler's community made me realize that the stuff that they were doing all around the world the art, the music, uh, the stuff that they were writing. Um, it was all amazing. And I think it opened my eyes into the world of the creator economy. And 
those are the two kind of pillars that StoryDAO is is built upon. I'm sorry I talked for so long. <laughs> um, so, so I'm interested now. You've gotten me to the logical point of going. Give me your, give me your today pitch of the brand that you've built, and then I would also love to hear the kind of the grand Machiavellian vision of when this thing becomes massively successful and you extract hundreds of billions of dollars from the the internet and turn it into amazing content. Sure. Love hopefully that. not so. Ho- hopefully not so Machiavellian. Um, <laughs> given gi- given that the ethos of what we're trying to do is really create a community owned IP incubation hub. Uh, mm. You know, uh, the the idea here is that you've got so many barriers today in Hollywood that JP talked about, uh, where people and creatives are getting squeezed from all sides. And when you have these gatekeepers that control the rails of the system, both the content production, the money that flows through the system, and the distribution of the system, it creates an environment where uh, creators uh, don't feel like a they can have the creative outlets that they that they ultimately want to have. Uh, and and B, they don't get uh, the upside of their creations um, anymore. And that causes really deep and systemic issues with this network that very few f- few people ultimately control. Mm. And so I think that's a nice place uh, or, or, or a, a good segue into what we want to do, right? We're an IP incubation platform. We create new productions uh, in a new multimedia way, in a way that uh, really can be consumed in a format that's never really been done before, but we're also trying to create a new network, uh, a new network that replaces uh, Hollywood uh, that lives on the blockchain, on the internet, uh, from people all across the world who can and should be participating in this ecosystem and who should have their voices heard. Uh, And so the short-term vision and where we are today is that we've established our community. We're working on our first production. Uh, We're starting to engage that community in community-based productions as well. We're building out the platform to launch uh, before the end of the year. And the long-term vision, the grand vision, is that we recreate the fabric of Hollywood uh, using the blockchain that becomes a a community-owned project and a social good, ultimately, uh, in a way that in, in which uh, promotes and rewards the people who are contributing the most value to that network. So does that mean that the Tom Cruise of the blockchain Hollywood is in this community today and we just haven't discovered him yet? The Top Gun hasn't been produced. His name is sort of- Ross Drakes and he <laughs> right now does a podcast, but watch out world. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a lovely, a lovely vision, uh, you know, interesting, you know, people, the narrative in Web3 always I find quite inspiring. Um, the the follow-through and the reality of it is often not as as sort of grand and epic. And I guess when I found StoryDAO, it was because of the activation that you did at NFT NYC, which is if anyone hasn't been, it's it's probably one of the loudest, noisiest, most chaotic, crazy things ever. There's events happening, like there's 50 events happening simultaneously. There's signs everyone, everyone's hustling, people are sticking stickers on you like crazy. And yet you still manage to sort of stand out. But then on top of that, you know, when when I went to join the project, it wasn't just a a mint. It was a you have to tell us why you think we should sell you a, a pass to this. So can you talk a little bit about how you think about building your brand and how you deliberately constructing your your community, which is, I think, more in line with what you're saying than most projects are, are doing? Absolutely. I, I think, yeah, JP, go ahead. I just, I would say, I think we're not, um, we're not into the hype cycle of, <laughs> of, of projects, of, of crypto. Um, we're building this for the long term. And I think when we set out to build this, um, we thought about community building and said, how do we want to start to build out that community? What's the best way to start building out that community? I think it's from the inside out, uh, right? It's starting with really small, dedicated people. Um, and I think I learned this from you know witnessing Tyler's community for so many years. That is a community that started out i mean it's it takes the concept of a thousand true fans and 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 i witnessed it right i mean tyler didn't start out as a global phenomenon he started out with a committed community of fans and slowly grew that community of fans um and that community of fans became the biggest evangelist for um for what he was doing uh and for the brand 
And I think we think of this very similarly. Um, you know, I think with our NFT NYC activation, uh, it was purposefully hard to complete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for, uh, when we think about, I mean, just for those of you who don't know what we were doing, um, it was a uh, basically like a scavenger hunt through uh, three days uh, at NFT NYC. Um, the, those scavenger hunts had uh, real life actors. Um, and so you would complete a checkpoint and at each checkpoint, you would start to tell your own unique story. So you could make decisions at each checkpoint and that story, um, layered into a custom PFP that was built for you, um, as you went through these channels. So you would say, you know, uh, these actors would come to you and say like, do you feel more like water or do you feel more like air, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and through those decisions, you would say, okay, uh, I feel like more like air. It's like, okay, well, you're, you're an astronaut. And then you're going to be in a uh, marshmallow dimension through all these decisions that you make. This is your, uh, this is your weapon that you're going to use. And all of that would layer into a final PFP. And we had a little, um, uh, a little party at the end. Um, but I think it was purposefully hard because you want to create these barriers uh, to entry at least first, right? Um, because you want to know who your committed community is. I think the goal is to break down those barriers. Um, uh, first of all, the goal is for anyone to be able to complete them, right? There shouldn't be barriers to entry mm. for who can complete this. Um, but we want to know how committed you are. We want to know how much you believe in this because we are trying to build this committed community. Uh, and that's how it starts. I think also if you look at projects out there, uh, that start with 10,000 people who come in. A lot of those folks who come into those environments are speculators and they're not the most conducive towards building for the long term. We're talking about building for a 10 year vision. And mm. they're also maybe not the right people that you would want in your community to help build out the creative aspects of what you want to do and deepen the IP. And so we really wanted to avoid that. We wanted to avoid growing too big, too fast, people thinking about just price go up. And instead, we wanted to find our committed community and start with 300 people with this producer token community of story writers and animators and novelists and business builders. And it has yielded amazing results because 300 is kind of the rule of thumb of the number of people that can kind of coordinate in a system uh, together. And so we really wanted to stick with that number. And, um, and we also wanted to get a diverse group of people who were engaged in our ecosystem to be able to help StoryDAO as we progress into the future. And so we've organized that community into guilds around uh, tokenomics and governance, marketing, production, product, um, and, and, and other various guilds uh, to be able to help think through what the future of StoryDAO actually looks like as we continue to open up the platform and build for a 10, 20, 30, maybe even 100-year vision. I find it fascinating that you sort of almost taking the opposite approach because it seems like most most projects is like we need to get 15,000 followers on Twitter immediately. We need, you know, as many, we need to pump the Discord. We're going to do those giveaways and, you know, all the kind of growth hacking thing to hunt those people down. And you're almost heading in the the opposite direction, making it slightly more difficult. And I think there's a lesson in there for, for brands who are wanting to enter the space, you know, and I think um, JP, you were talking about it as it's the hype. I think the hype is such a, a negative element of what's going on here because it's, it's so noisy and so distracting that I think pe people who are interested in coming into the space who might not be in it already I think find it quite difficult to get in because the hype is it, like it's so shiny and so difficult to understand and moves so quickly that I think a lot of people who would have entered the space are almost a little bit reticent to do so. Um, and I think your project almost stands apart from that. I think a lot of the people that are in the, in the producers community are, are not necessarily like deep hardcore DJs, but they are people who are interested in, in the technology. Yeah, it's quite the opposite. I mean, I, we're really trying to get people who aren't into Web3 because uh, <laughs> what we're trying to do is build a community of creatives. And um, a lot of those people have just not been onboarded yet. And so, you know, when we really, I think, uh, dedicated ourselves, I mean, we 
in terms of building this building this 300 person producer token community out, um, we had an application process. Uh, we hand selected this group of 300 uh, out of lots and lots and lots of applicants. Um, and uh, you know, the whole team was there looking at looking at applicants, looking at their socials, looking at their LinkedIn's or whatever. Um, to try to build a diverse community, to build um, uh, a creative community. And that, uh, whether you had bought uh, an NFT or not, was not part of that decision at all. Mm. Interesting. Also quite bold. Um, you know, see, so you've now got this community. You know, how do you, how do you see... You know, you've set up this DAO, and Justin, you you mentioned earlier that you were part of some of the early DAOs. DAOs haven't necessarily had the best run in terms of long term success. They've, there's quite a few that have been quite successful in the short term, but they often implode and come apart. Can you talk a little bit about how you're thinking of um, the DAO and the community and the structures and how you're creating those sort of I don't want to say guardrails, but it's probably a, a wrong word, but almost those like principles and guidelines that are going to help people to create together as opposed to just pull the whole thing apart. Sure. We've done a lot of thinking about the structure of StoryDAO ultimately. Uh, I, I'm, as you mentioned, I've been involved in the DAO ecosystem and I've seen just how messy DAOs are. Uh, I was talking to Jess Sloss from C-Club just the other day and we were talking about the idea of attachment points uh, where the community gets involved. But if you just have this discourse running in Discord and it's this chat history that's a year goes back a year, two years, it's so noisy, right? Mm. And so how do you organize? How do you create connections? How do you, without any hierarchy, without any hierarchy, uh, traditional hierarchy, as you think about it in the company sense, um, it, it becomes very difficult to know what you need to do as part of the ecosystem, how you can add value to that ecosystem, how you can coordinate work across that ecosystem. And today, the DAO tooling space is still in its infancy. There's been a lot of money being poured into DAO tooling, but I'm of the belief that ultimately a lot of DAOs are going to have to build their own uh, bespoke tooling and bespoke product to be able to harness all of the energy associated with the community that comes into uh, its network. And so that's what we're really what we're doing at StoryDAO, um, both from an organizational and structural governance and tokenomics perspective, but also from an actual product perspective. And we ask ourselves the question of, you know, we've got these this fervor uh, within this community. How do we start to organize this in a way in which it can scale to uh, a, ultimately a massive scale? And we need to be, start thinking about that now. I think, number one, you have to introduce flexibility into the model. You can't be so hardcore about anything early on in the model because, A, this space changes so fast <laughs> that you have to be willing to be flexible in that model. And so I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned early on uh, in this space is don't put yourself in a corner ever in terms of the technology decisions that you've made and be able to uh, change course if you need to, because that's just the way that, that that this space operates and works. You know, they say a day is a month, a month is a year in, in crypto. I think that's there's some truth to that for sure. It, it does move spat, fat, fast. And because you have open source technology and this composable infrastructure that exists, uh, there's all these components that you can take from, all these lessons that you can learn from other things that are happening out there. And I think adopting those best practices is how DAOs are ultimately going to succeed and you just continue to iterate and iterate and iterate. So we're trying to build an ecosystem that really harnesses that energy. From an actual structural perspective, StoryDAO today is a centralized company. Uh, so even though we are named StoryDAO, it's really because we are a collection of DAOs. Uh, but we also have the ambition to eventually decentralize StoryDAO through a token uh, that represents the ownership, the collective ownership of the entire network and ecosystem. But each universe uh, where we have a production uh, that gets revealed to the community and immerses the community in this new story uh, operates as its own DAO. The governance of that DAO and of the entire ecosystem, we're still ironing all of that out. And that's part of the work of this producer token guild that we're engaging with. But um, in some ways, the, the, the NFTs that are part of the storytelling process, so the storytelling NFTs, will act as a governance mechanism over a shared treasury that the DAO uh, within each universe can use 
uh, to perpetuate and continue to push forward that IP. We'll have some sort of producer token community that's involved within each project, similar to the way that we created this producer token community for StoryDAO. And that producer token community, really their job is to help finance and help um, move this project forward and help these core creators uh, be successful with their creations. So that gives you, an, I think, an idea generally of the, the structure of how we're operating this thing. Uh, but there's still a lot of question marks, I think, that we need to resolve in terms of the exact tokenomic structure, the exact governance structure that we're working towards over the next probably six months. So I find it fascinating. Sorry, go JP. What I think Justin's talking about is, you know, the process of progressive decentralization, right? I mean, it, to not grow <laughs> too big, too discordant, too fast, right? Um, and um, and I think that, that, I think Justin talked about it in the business building sense. I think there's, it also exists in the storytelling sense, right? I mean, when we're, we're telling stories here, we're trying to build IP. Um, when's the right time to tap community to, come in and, and expand that IP because you have the same sort of issues, right? How can you build a, a narrative together? It, it becomes really hard. And I think mm. we have uh, similar beliefs in, in terms of how we're building the business, in terms of how we're building the stories. Um, and so I think maybe coming from Hollywood and having a, a bit more of a traditional background in content development, uh, we do believe in the, uh, the role of the auteur here. Right, I think this a central creative person, um, the George Lucas, <laughs> the George Lucases of the world. Right, they still have to mm. exist. You still have to have a centralized vision for an entire narrative universe um, before I think you can come in and tap community to go in and expand that universe in all these creative directions. And so we're thinking about that for our stories as well, um, having them led by a central creative team up to a certain point. Once we establish you know, the rules of that universe, how the characters move within that universe, because you can't expect people to contribute meaningfully to something when they don't understand it. Uh, and the best mm. way to onboard them to understand that universe is to tell them a story that exists within that universe. And I think that's why there's so much fervor around things like fan fiction um, on the internet rather than, you know, maybe uh, original writing on the internet, right? Uh, with fan fiction, there's something that to always go back to. There's always that core canon. Uh, that people can use to sort of, uh, I, Justin talked about it, but provide these platforms for people to build off of. Um, mm. And that's what we're trying to do with our stories as well. Uh, I find it interesting that, you know, because one of one of the, the thoughts I've been trying to solve in my head is how does, you know, as these things grow, you know, you can't have a million voices voting, you know, like it just doesn't, like you said, doesn't get to that kind of single, clear, unique, special vision. But I love this idea of almost as a decentralized it fragments around interests or stories, you know, people gather into smaller sub communities because you can't really participate. Some of the discords that I used to enjoy that I don't anymore have grown so large that like you say, it's just noisy. I don't, I don't feel you know, I don't feel connected to it anymore, but when there were two, three, four, five hundred people in there, it felt like there was always 20, 30 people that you could engage with. And it feels like you're trying to mimic that and create these smaller communities that are part of a bigger, a bigger wave, but they can really nerd out on the thing, which is about, I don't know, roller skating in Poland in the 1960s that they're like deeply passionate about and they're creating an entire series for. If that's something you're developing, I'd I'd love to hear more about it. <laughs> really, I, yeah, we have someone I'm, in our uh, you got me already, honestly. <laughs> we 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 have someone in our Discord who wants to do a space opera, right? And that's so esoteric, but uh, such an interesting and unique idea. Uh, as an example, I, I think you're exactly right. The opportunity and ability to harness all of this energy all of this creativity in a way that it doesn't uh, get diffused over time. And also uh, establishing those unique connection points with one another and having these unique and collaborative experiences is something we're really leaning into with StoryDAO as well. Uh, and from a product perspective, we think it's really important to start to harness all of that out of Discord. Discord kind of becomes the front gate of the community for sure. But the product is really the place where all the activity happens. For us, And the product is really segmented into two sections for us. Number one, it's the front of house viewing experience, 
where it's going to be a whole new paradigm of how you engage with stories through, through NFTs and through the experience of engaging with those stories. And then on the back end of the platform is a little bit more like a social network where you have this creator economy happening, connections happening, small groups forming around shared uh, visions of, of something that they want to do. And how we layer rewards and incentives into this ecosystem is something that we're actively thinking through as well. So, so can I ask, you know, you've, you've got this thing that's going to slowly expand and expand. There's like these rings expanding. How do you see the brand of StoryDAO being built in this progressively wider, progressively more decentralized way? How do you, how do you hold that single vision of StoryDAO in a thing where there's suddenly 15, 16 worlds with, you know, each with thousands of people sort of following it? Totally. It's a great question. I think most of it goes back to the platform, right? Like really what StoryDAO is, I mean, you can separate StoryDAO into two sort of sides. Uh, the platform is, I think, the biggest side. We also have a studio. We're going to be utilizing the platform just like everybody else, right? Like we want to create our own IP uh, and we need to seed that platform with great IP. Uh, so the studio side is really partnering with... Um, Really amazing showrunners and um, and and telling stories on the platform, uh, building our own IP. So I think we're going to have a brand on the studio side, uh, just in terms of the the quality and and the uh, the kinds of stories that we're telling uh, that come from StoryDAO. But I think mm. the StoryDAO platform is going to be the brand at the end of the day. Um, you know, this is going to be the place where I. Hopefully, this is going to be the place where people go to tell uh, if they want to incubate a piece of IP. This is going to be the place where they go to do it, where they go to engage community uh, in the process of of building that IP. Um, hopefully, by having so many creatives on the platform, um, people are able to contribute to different projects and really build reputation out on the platform. Right? If you go to someone's maybe profile on on, on the StoryDAO platform. You'll be able to see what they've contributed. You know, you'll be able to see all of the uh, bounties that they've won, all the writing that they've done, all the ways that they've contributed contributed to different narrative universes. And when that person has an idea for something original, a new mm. universe, a new DAO, um, and they need a community around them in order to make that thing go. I mean, people are looking at their profile and saying, "Wow, like I believe in this person. I know what this person has done." Uh, I want to, I want to work with this person. I want to put my money <laughs> into this, into this project. Um, and so that's the goal of StoryDAO is to really build out that reputation layer, um, uh, with our creative community so that they can build audience around them. And ultimately when you work in, uh, the process of decentralization, where people have ownership over a platform like this. Uh, it creates a really powerful network effect, both inside the platform where people are inviting other creatives to the table, people who they want to collaborate with. But it also creates a lot of virality to the product where people are incentivized um, and motivated to invite consumers and viewers and other community members who may want to just immerse themselves in the story uh, to become a part of that production as well. And so, uh, you know, we're certainly going to lean into a lot of marketing efforts, but uh, I think the, the power in the process of decentralization is that your community becomes your best marketing engine ever. And that's your point of expansion. So as we layer on stories, we build the technology, the community, the know-how, the rewards, the incentives, the infrastructure, to the, the connections to Hollywood, the licensing opportunities, all of that for these stories. But the, the, the core creators and the community around that story is really responsible for using our tooling to then grow that story and grow awareness for that story. Mm. It's kind of interesting because, you know, I guess, you know, Hollywood, well, I think any kind of media company is in the game of of risk. They're like, we're going to spend this money and we hope it's going to come back at an exponential level. And I guess this puts at least a baseline audience. You can be like, well, here are 5,000 people that's contributed to this. So you've got a minimum of 5,000 tickets sold at the opening, which I guess brings in a level of, of de-risking to the, the project as it, as it develops. I think that that's And as right. you go and... 
Sorry, Joe. Yeah, and as you go and take that that IP and you have 5,000 committed community members who are part of that, who are enjoying the story, who are dedicated to the story and it's growing, you can then go and and you have proven out now community. And the power in those negotiations and ownership over that intellectual property becomes much stronger. Whereas today, if you own a, uh, or, or if you're starting to develop a piece of IP, you know, we, we talk about Squid Game quite a bit. Uh, the founder of Squid Game took his idea uh, around around Hollywood. Netflix bought it, uh, but he didn't make anything more out of a out of now a brand and a piece of IP that's worth almost a billion dollars to the Netflix ecosystem. And so mm. the idea here is that when you have this community created, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell the Squid Game story. So here's what okay, happened. Good. Here's what happened with Squid Game, <laughs> and this is and this and this speaks to I think the the the. I think systemic problems in Hollywood that have grown mm. uh, from the streaming revolution uh, in the last decade or so. Um, so, you know, creators, when you had a TV show, you used to get back end of that TV show or of that movie, right? Um, so every time that piece of content made money, uh, you, uh, as the creator of that show, made money. Um, now streamers came in and streamers are uh, global and your content is owned by them in perpetuity, right? So there are mm. no downstream revenue events of your content anymore. And so streamers came in with this new model that said, Hey, creators, we'll pay you 10 to 20% more than you're used to getting upfront, but we own your content forever and we own it in every territory around the world. And that's what happens. So you get, um, you get creators, uh, Justin was talking about squid game, right? Um, you get a creator, who created one of the biggest shows of, of the last couple years and saw not a dime of the upside that that created. It's worth half a billion dollars to the Netflix platform. That person owns none of it, right? And, and of course, mm. they'll see it maybe on the next deal because they're an established creator now, but that doesn't make sense and it's not fair. Um, and I think Web3 really changes that where you can give creators ownership over over the creations that 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 they create, and and that's how it should be. Um, that's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to bring back and and really change uh, ownership models of of content. I find it fascinating that you've built, or you're building, sort of two things. The one is this perpetual motion machine that you're going to sort of push out into the world, and it's going to have a life of its own, and it's going to do its own thing, and you can contribute. But ultimately, I think you're your voice will be washed out by the number of people who will start contributing over time. But at the same time, you're also participating, almost like Google making the Pixel phone because they want to show what they believe Android can do. But it's actually not a, you know, like the Pixel phone is only one part of the story of Android and all the other things that have been built in it. What do you, you know, as as the owners of the the kind of production company, what is what it, it makes you excited about participating in this perpetual motion machine that you're setting and setting off into the world? Yeah, totally. I mean, we're excited to tell uh, a lot of different stories, right? I mean, uh, stories that I think never would have been told uh, had it not been for this platform. So, as the studio part of of StoryDAO, I think what we're looking for we're looking to creators and saying, I think even, even the best creators in Hollywood have projects that never went, right? Uh, they have projects that are passion projects for them. They know that they could be successful, but for some reason or another, maybe it was a regime change at a network. Uh, it got scrapped. Uh, maybe it was just too expensive. You know, you and I talked off, off air about the matrix um, and I think mm. that's such a unique movie and such an interesting uh, case study because movies like The Matrix do not get made anymore. Uh, when you think about like '99 as a as a as a, a year for movies, kind of the one of the last great years of of kind of independent film, right? You, when you look at The Matrix, that is a indie film with a blockbuster budget doesn't happen anymore. It did not come from a comic book. It did not. I mean, it was an original idea uh, made by uh, directors who uh, had not made a whole lot before. <laughs> um, and it was a huge budget. And movies like that just don't get made anymore. 
And I think we're looking for um, a, a route for movies like The Matrix, original ideas coming from, you know, creators that haven't done a lot before. And we're trying to we're trying to give that fuel. We're trying to bring that back, I think. That's super exciting. So, you know, if The Matrix had been produced inside StoryDAO, do you think The Matrix 4 would have been created? I think if The Matrix was created in StoryDAO, we would have been on The Matrix 16 by now, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and and one, of them, one of them would have been uh, like a rom-com uh, idea with uh, Neo. And, uh, you know, like the idea is, is that people can start to see these stories in their own vision, in their own uh uh, with with their own ideas in mind, right? This is what fan fiction is all about. Is you know, people take Harry Potter uh, fan fiction and they go and create a gay gay Harry Potter um, idea, or uh, somebody takes Twilight and they and they create Fifty Shades of Grey, but they couldn't really, they can't use or monetize that IP at all. And so mm -hmm. the idea is that people want to take these base characters, these base ideas, these stories, once they understand the worlds that exist and and how the characters operate within these stories. And then they want to then take these derivatives and create new and interesting ideas out of them. But now they have the opportunity to actually attach it onto uh, something where they become a part of the broader intellectual property that's being created associated with that IP. That doesn't exist today at all. And it's actually impossible. You look at examples like Disney suing the guy who created a, a Lightning McQueen car or the Bridgerton, the, the women who did the Bridgerton musical, who got shut down, cease and desist from Netflix. Um, but people want to create in this way and create mm. unique and original ideas, but existing IP holders uh, and creators want to keep that very centralized and they don't want to allow the community to really attach onto it, nor do they want to give them any rewards or ownership of that IP for their work associated with that. It's interesting. As you were talking, I was thinking of, uh, you know, how the gaming industry is slightly different to this. You know, if you think about something like Warhammer, you know, Warhammer's little figurines you can paint. It's a game. It's a card game. It's like 16 different types of game. It's, you know, there's RTS. There's all these different things that are playing out. And I guess where we're going here is that we get to pop the lid off that because all of those have been created by the people who own Warhammer. They just are a little bit more broad in their application of their stuff. Now it's like, okay, well, we'll put it in your hands. We'll make four or five, six things that we like, and you can make another 50 and see where, where it ends up going. I think that's exactly right. Like when we think about these storytelling universes, like what is a storytelling universe other than like a world just like ours with, different rules right and and some different characters and you can tell any story in the world in our universe you can tell any story in the world in the matrix universe you know uh you <laughs> and that's what's exciting to me it's just a different set of rules like i want to see the day-to-day -day in zion you know <laughs> what is that like like what is it like for just a a person going to work at the center of the world in in zion in the matrix right um mm. like i want to see that story um, and I think that's what this opens, uh, it opens the ability for people to tell those kinds of stories. I want to understand why in Zion, when the world is ending, the first thing they think of doing is throwing a massive trance rave. That was their like, their first idea. They're like, we're all going to die. Let's break out the decks and just dance for the next sort of three days. And then we'll figure out the problem afterwards. If, uh, if this world was ending, I think that's what I would want to do maybe. <laughs> um, um it's like uh it's like that movie that seth made uh jp end of the uh, what was it called end of the world or this is uh, the end uh, where, where, yeah this is the oh. end where they're all just partying during the apocalypse yeah <laughs> they didn't know the apocalypse was going to happen though so that uh at least the, the people in zion they knew uh, they knew they, they, they were going to war but first we dance so so can I ask you, we, we're almost out of time. I'm interested from you, what are the things, you know, you're in the early phases of this, this brand, you're in the early phases of this experiment. What is something that's happened that you completely didn't expect? Like what is something that kind of really took you off your, you were like, wow, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Hmm. I mean, I'll say that when we embarked on this journey, um, I didn't think that there would be the reception from 
traditional creators that there has been and that we've seen. Because um, we've been able to see and and talk to a lot of creators who have really no problem creating within the traditional means. We thought we would for sure be catering to people that are kind of outside the system that want to get in. But I think there are, I think I underestimated the amount of people who are in the system who want to break out of it, who want to, uh, uh, who want to, I think, uh, destroy the guardrails around Hollywood just as much as the people who are on the outside uh, do. Mm. Um, and so I think the fervor and the reception from traditional creators to break the system is uh, something that I definitely did not expect. It, it's a very happy thing that I did not expect because what it means is that, you know, I think we can tap some of these really amazing creators and, and we have, right? Um, you know, our, our first project is, uh, is with Kyle Killen and uh, Kyle is an incredible showrunner. Uh, I've admired Kyle and his work for, for a really long time. Um, he is the showrunner of the Halo series that just dropped on Paramount+. Plus. Um, he's done uh, a few network series as well um, uh, that are awesome. <laughs> Those shows were honestly way too good to be on network TV. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, we're just so excited to work with him and, and we have talked to and, and have lined up uh, a bunch of other creators um, that I never would have thought would be interested in creating in this way. So I think that's the, the happiest um, thing that I did not expect. Yeah, I think when we were in the bull market, one thing we saw was that creators could go out and they could um, they could engage with community directly and monetize directly. And um, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work on and effort on Twitter. Uh, it takes a lot of community engagement. Uh, and then there's no real framework to be able to then say, what do we do with this, and how does this community actually expand? And so one of the theses we had around StoryDAO was that creators need an outlet uh, in order to connect directly with their fans, but also that fans want to then participate in the actual process of the creation itself. Everybody is a creator is our philosophy. And how do we give them the tooling and the connections in order to do that? And so we've been really pleasantly surprised that we now we're seeing that, that creators want a platform where they can connect with that audience, with that community, and have uh, the tooling that they need in order to be able to do that while retaining most of the ownership of their ultimate creation without getting, you know, having an agent and a manager and um, Netflix or whoever else is part of this entire distribution, creation, production process, stripping them of all their rights of, of, their, of their creation. That's super, Ed. I mean, thank you. Thank you very much for what you, you're building and for letting me be part of it. I'm, I'm excited. And always at the end of the podcast, I get to ask one more question. And my question of you is, what do you think is the greatest movie of all time? And why do you think it's The Big Lebowski? <laughs> uh, I know that you're coming to our movie club meeting <laughs> later today. So uh, for those of you who uh, aren't um, uh, part of the Discord or, or members of StoryDAO, um, we have a movie club every week. And actually this week's movie, uh, we are discussing The Big Lebowski. Uh, so I know you'll of be course. there uh, trying to um, really uh, get disciples the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> onto your uh, Church of the Big Lebowski. Um, do, if you want to know what my favorite movie is, it's definitely E.T. Of course E.T. I do. <laughs> e I love wow. E.T. I think it's just like one of those movies that's just perfect. Uh, I think it's funny. I think it's heartwarming. I love the idea of like an alien. Uh, it, it's an alien movie, but no one thinks of it as an alien movie, right? Like it's a, it's a coming of age movie. Um, it's a coming of age movie that happens to have an alien in it. Um, and, uh, and I, I just, it's a movie that I could just keep watching and watching and watching and watching and find new things in it. Um, I think it's like just the height of, um, of, Spielberg's career, which uh, is saying something because a lot of people have different, uh, different <laughs> ideas about, you know, what the best Spielberg movie is. Yes. Yeah. I love it. So I have a very, I have a very negative experience of ET because I watched it with my, my brother and yeah. I cried. Oh no. And then he picked on me for like six months 
afterwards. So, you know, I have a negative association with the movie, but not because of Spielberg, but because of Howard Drake's. <laughs> well, maybe come over, let's watch it together. Build a, <laughs> let's, let's build a new memory around E.T. I promise you'll like it. Okay, I, I can do that. And Justin, are you bold enough to throw out your favorite movie in front of your uh, kind of media-obsessed brother? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's not as, um, I think, uh, cinematically uh, maybe alluring as as E.T. or, or even Big Lebowski. Um, uh, you know, mine's mostly linked back to nostalgia, and it's I have to go with the movie that I've probably seen the most. I, I was obsessed with baseball uh, when I was younger. Now my son is totally obsessed with baseball and feel the dreams was like my oh, all time yeah. favorite movie and still is today. Uh, I've seen it maybe a hundred times. And now my son has seen it, I think equally a uh, hundred times. <laughs> uh, I just, I, you know, I, I think the thing about movies is that it can draw on this, this sense of nostalgia, both in the movie itself, which feel the dreams does such an amazing job with, uh, but also as you grow up and you think back to your first experience and how those movies formed you ultimately, uh, they do create profound impacts on your life and your ambitions and uh, your dreams. And so I think that's the power of storytelling in a nutshell for me uh, and something that I hope that we're able to recreate uh, at StoryDow. Is Feel the Dreams like a sci-fi movie? I mean, I'm just asking because like you don't think of it as a sci-fi movie. I mean, it gives us fantasy, right? But you don't Mm. think of like a baseball movie being like also a, I don't know, like a sci-fi fantasy movie. (laughs) It kind of is. Yeah, you definitely have to suspend your disbelief for sure. I mean, that's what I love about it because it doesn't, it's it's using some of those elements, uh, but to tell, you know, a a narrative. And I think that's very similar to E.T. in a way. I love it. Well, Justin, JP, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate what you've created. And I look forward to seeing the first production start rolling out of the the crazy experiment. Awesome. Thank you. We appreciate you. And And uh, thanks for hosting us. Excited to see you in Movie Club to discuss The Big Lebowski today. (laughs) Yeah, at like 4 a.m. your time in (laughs) South Africa. There we go. Um, we'll have to do some, uh, you know, some South African timed uh, movie, movie, yes. uh, movie, club uh, movie clubs. So, yeah, uh, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen just for you. And we'll have to redo <laughs> the, the Big Lebowski for you. Right. Thank you. Well, I mean, thank you very much for listening. And yeah, we'll catch everybody in the next one. Bye bye. for listening we believe sharing knowledge is an obligation so if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand please share this with them this is our fourth season and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first to know when a new episode is released even better leave a review and tell the world how much you enjoyed listening one more question is brought to you by the people of nice work We're on a mission to build purposeful Web3 brands that people care about. We're based in South Africa and serve the leaders of brave companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, work with us or make a suggestion, please reach out at www.nicework.co.za. Bye-bye.